Welcome to this special edition of the Belmont Journal, Belmont's own local program for hyperlocal news and community affairs programming. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Today we have Belmont Public Schools uh, School Superintendent John Phelan with us. There are a variety of things that we want to talk about today with John. Thanks for stopping over. I know you've got an incredibly busy schedule. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It is budget season in the town of Belmont, mm -hmm. and uh, the, there is a draft budget for, or a proposed budget for the schools for uh, the next school year. Correct. And uh, are you seeking more money, the same money? Can you give us an update of where we are? Absolutely. The, uh, the school department and the school committee work hard on the budget starting in the fall. We meet with the Warren Committee uh, liaisons from the Warren Committee to the school committee and the school department through that time to give them updates on what the needs are of the district and what the hopes are for the district as it relates to the budget. We uh, presented that budget to the Finance Committee uh, and the Warren Committee early uh, and then presented it to a joint session of the Warren Committee, the Board of Selectmen, and a full school committee. And that budget really is asking for three different types of, of increases. One is um, there's about a 3% increase just to take everybody that we have right now and move it into <laughs> next year. And that's what uh -huh. we call a rollover cost. If we had the same amount of students next year as we have this year, and if all things remained equal, that would really be what our budget would be. Just bring all of the folks we have now and bring them into next fiscal year. But um, we know that that's not the case. We know that that's not the case. So that's the first piece that we look at. Okay. What does it take and what do we have for needs? And so then when we start to look at what our needs are and what our bills are that we have to pay, those are the next two chapters of the budget. So our needs are many because we have uh, con continued enrollment increases, continued class size uh, challenges, uh, continued um, pieces of our district that we would like to grow or establish that we don't have currently. So we talk about what's the impact on the strategic plan, uh, what pieces of budget um, work could we do to enhance that. Now, we know that we could ask for maybe uh, or use 24 people to get us where we want to be, but the town is certainly not positioned to do that financially. So we asked for 3.6 FTEs, which is really uh, some guidance counselor support at the elementary school. So we could have each elementary school have a full-time guidance counselor. Um, it's hard to say out loud as your superintendent that right now there's not a full-time guidance counselor in three of our four elementary schools. Uh, we consider social-emotional learning vital and how we uh, meet the needs of our families and our children as people and human beings as well as students, and the guidance role is essential to that. So that's part of the ask. Uh, the other part of the ask is support at the high school for a um, assistant principal part-time, um, and also some FTEs at the middle school. So we're doing things in chunks of like .5s, which is part-time pieces, that add up to 3.6. So that's what we're asking for in addition to this year's budget. And that, that brings us to about a 1% additional increase Okay. For moving forward, so that brings us to about 4.1 Four or so percent. Yes. And then we talk about what bills do we have to pay that we don't have a choice as a district. Uh, our health insurance cost is estimated to go up by 8%. We have 578 employees. When you multiply their health insurance by 8%, that number alone uh, is, a, is almost a million dollars. So uh, that's a bill that you have to pay. So we know that we have to pay that bill. And we know that the funds that we seek for our students who um, need uh, mandated services, 
that we uh, ensure quality services for some of our special education students, some of our students who don't speak the language. Uh, there are pieces of that mandated uh, work that we have to do, and that's also a bill that we have to pay. So when you combine those three components of the budget, uh, it comes out to about a 6% increase. Uh, I think that that is similar, that the town's budget in general, all things in, is somewhere around five plus. So we're, we're a growing town, we're a growing district, and we're feeling in line with uh, the other town departments as it relates to uh, you know, needs moving forward. And what I didn't hear you talk about is there's nothing in the uh, operating budget yet having to, anything to do with the new school. Correct. Are there, prep, there are no preparation costs or I don't know what the term might be. There, there, there are, I'll represent that in two answers. One is we are uh, building our budget over time incrementally to bring the district staffing level to the point where we can support 400 students a grade because that's where we're moving towards. So whether we built the new school or not, we know that we needed to increase our budget incrementally to serve that many students. So we're continually doing that as it relates to moving into the new school. As it relates to the short term, do we need any extra money next year to support the transition times? The answer to that question is yes. We have less playing fields. We will have no pool. Uh, we'll need to transport our staff, I mean our uh, student athletes to different places to practice. We might have more away games. So we've added money to the athletic budget to support that. Uh, that's one example okay. of how we would need extra money to support. We also see the additional uh, 0.4 FTE of assistant principal uh, as a way that we can provide a little more safety and accountability for our students and staff while they are living next to a construction project. Uh, we really think about the, uh, we wanted to add more hallway monitors and wanted to add a few more pieces to that as well. The budget didn't allow, but we, we really take seriously that we're bringing our students and our staff into a situation next year that, that needs more attention uh, yes. around uh, safety, security, um, and generally being next to a construction site. So those are all parts of what we thought about as well. Okay, I, I'd like to turn uh, our attention to perhaps a politically sensitive uh, mm -hmm. topic because a good part of the school's budget comes from the state. Mm -hmm. But there are a good many people who believe that the state school funding formula is unfair mm -hmm. to communities such as Belmont. Mm -hmm. uh, well, two questions, I, mm -hmm. I guess. Do you share that opinion? And uh, two, can you explain any efforts that, mm -hmm. uh, to, that are... Uh, ongoing to change that formula? Absolutely. Uh, yes, I agree. I think that the the inequities in the current formula statewide between what a Boston or a Brockton receives in state funds uh, versus what a Burlington or another town receives in state funds uh, has a wide uh, range of concerns related to it. Um, there is a uh, Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents video that we published. The, the MASS is working hard to advocate for this new bill uh, at the state level and has produced some uh, great facts for folks to consider when considering a vote for this. And uh, so we support all of the 364 64 communities that we work with to be able to come up with a fair funding formula. What we are doing about it, two years ago when Laurie Slapp was our school committee chair, we signed a resolution to support the, uh, the review um, bill that was uh, done by Senator Chang Diaz of Boston. Uh, so we signed a resolution as a school committee to support it then. Uh, last week at our school committee meeting, we signed a, a, an updated resolution supporting the work of that funding formula. I will be at the state testimonial on uh, State House on Friday to support uh, the 
the Teachers Union, the Mass Association of School Superintendents, and the Mass Association of School Committees. We're all going together to support and urge our lawmakers to uh, to consider this work uh, vital to the uh, to the equity and well-being of all students across the, the state. As it relates to Belmont, uh, this could mean an additional $3 million in funding for Belmont if the formula was done in a way that was modeled in the, uh, in the report. And would that increase school funding or would that uh, supplant property tax funding? I would see that as uh, additional Chapter 74 money that would add to the school budget. Uh -huh. Now, the town would decide how they use that revenue and balance it versus what they ask for in tax base. That's always the town's right to do so. Sure. But I, I would hope that that would money would be in addition to uh, for the school department and would help balance out the needs of the other town departments while we look at the town's budgets across schools, fire, police, etc. Uh, I will say in the budget presentation that we are doing uh, and is on uh, Belmont Media when you can go back and play some of the tapes. Uh, the cost of uh, the, the amount of money per child that Belmont spends uh, is $2,600 per child less than the state average. It's about four to 5,000 less than the districts that we like to compare ourselves to. We have almost 4,800 students. If we just had the same amount per child as the state average, 2,600 times 4,800 comes to almost $9 million. So there are districts out there that are spending a lot more money to educate their children uh, we're not asking for $9 million more. Uh, we think the state formula could recognize and help support the needs in our budget at, at about a $3 million mark. But I think it goes to show the level of uh, the great outcomes and opportunities we're able to provide in Belmont uh, come on a very lean budget. Uh, and those are apples to apples data points at the state level that we are spending $2,600 less per child than the average state district. And what I hear you saying, and tell me if I'm just uh, putting words in your mouth, I mm -hmm. don't mean to do this, mm -hmm. but the town is moving toward an override, and people always say, well, we just need to cut expenses. But I'm hearing you say that there's really no fat in the budget to, uh, to cut. I would, uh, I, I agree, there is not much fat in this budget to cut, and uh, we have, uh, benefited by the override from 2015-14, uh, which was only supposed to give us about three years worth of funding. I believe that the, the town and the schools have done a great job of putting money away each year from that override that gave us two more fiscal years. We'll get five fiscal years out of that override. Um, and I think that we were really responsible with the taxpayers' dollars not to spend all that money in the first three years and then turn around and wonder why we didn't have any more. We were conservative in our approach. We were methodical in our approach. And I believe that this is the cost of doing business in a municipality that given uh, the, uh, the funding formula review really says that towns are struggling with uh, health insurance costs, OPEB costs, uh, special education costs, and English language learner costs. That, that is, those are the four biggest pressures on the town's budget in Belmont. Yes. Uh, they're probably the four biggest pressures on other towns as well. And that's why I think the state needs to universally step in and equitably distribute funds across the whole state to support local towns that are struggling with providing that kind of funding. So we are looking to seek additional funding for FY20, uh, as I described, with three different positions. But while we've been growing in population and staff, the fire department hasn't gotten any bigger, the police department hasn't grown, the DPW needs funds, the library is looking for a new space. There are other challenges in other departments sure. that equally need uh, added support and didn't really grow as much in their uh, 
added positions during the override time. They just remained uh, in place. So I think the entire town um, would, be, would benefit by a real look at strategic planning and having overrides potentially every so many years fit into that formula so we could actually build up the revenue uh, to match the expenses while uh, questioning and challenging the expenses uh, that's okay too that we have to uh -huh. challenge ourselves in that department as well okay let's close the door in the budget uh, and talk about some uh, I call them uh, disturbing uh, activity or disturbing uh, events that have occurred in the Belmont Public Schools mm -hmm. there was uh, some uh, graffiti at the Chenery Middle School mm -hmm. last fall. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, there was a swastika that was uh, painted uh, with water onto a library carpet. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk about your reactions to this uh, uh, to this hate speech and what the school's uh, role is in addressing that? Both. Well, let me say. Let me stop the question there. Okay. <laughs> there, so, there are a couple of questions sure. uh, in there, but what the school's role uh, role is to uh, uh, to re let's start out with the reaction to react to that. So the the the, the first statement is that the the Belmont Public Schools and in, in the Belmont community doesn't accept any expression of hate towards any one group. It's it's not okay. It's not welcome. Uh, it's not the culture of the community, and we work hard to uphold that level of expectation in our schools as well. Uh, as it relates to how do we respond when those actions happen, the example uh, in both of the cases you mentioned was Principal McAllister uh, putting an email out to his entire uh, parent community and to his staff and creating a learning opportunity around that to uh, take the wall back. And I think that if you remember, uh, they spent a whole day with the whole school writing notes that they put on that wall to demonstrate uh, the, the student voice and the, and the teacher voice that they have higher expectations of that for how they treat each other and what they want to see moving forward and how they don't accept that kind of language or those words uh, or tolerate that in their school. And I thought that that was a great example of an individual making a really bad mistake. Uh, middle school is filled with young people who learn and make mistakes and learn from mistakes. And we're hoping that uh, that person did. And we're also glad that the school community rallied around the higher expectation and the higher core value of valuing and respecting uh, everybody that works and uh, goes to school at Chenery. And there was a real difference, uh, I thought, in the reaction there. Not a difference, but a difference from what one may have expected. It wasn't a find the violator and punish them. It was really bringing the community together to talk correct, about it. Correct. I, you know, especially at middle school, but even at the high school, in, in K to 12, uh, we are working with young people who are, we hope to be able to through our SEL work, create cultures and climates in every school that's welcoming, where students feel known and welcome and, and understood. And then they learn through that. This isn't math and science. This is how to be a responsible young person and work your way through this world of being 12, being 14, being 18. And so school is becoming much more than just math, algebra, science, biology, and, and, and history. And so those lessons are important. So I think that we, uh, we hope to respond in uh, these situations where we're using them as learning opportunities. They're, they're not okay, the acts are not uh, um, acceptable. Uh, we set that line and set that tone, but we also know that young people need to learn and move forward because they're gonna be part of our society for a long time. And we wanna make sure that they learn from these lessons as well. And then from a proactive, uh, flipping mm -hmm. the, uh, the question from a proactive uh, 
uh, point of view, given Belmont's increasing diversity in today's uh, world, mm -hmm. Uh, what actions do uh, the schools take, it, even down in the, the lower grades, to make uh, uh, non-European white uh, folks uh, feel part of the community and, and mm -hmm. become included in the community, feel included in part of the community? Mm -hmm. So we, we embarked four years ago on a social-emotional learning uh, initiative that that was for the first three years uh, our primary objective uh, strategic objective for the district and what that really means is how do you create school buildings uh, in school communities that are welcoming and make children and families feel known and welcome and what are the strategies specific strategies in a classroom in a school building in a district that we can take to fulfill that um, so that's the umbrella of, of all the work that we do underneath that, that if we, we have to start with that climate and culture in a school. And that means that that shifts some of the things that teachers do in their lessons and in their classrooms at the first grade or at the second grade. Uh, it's helping students to feel uh, self-confident and assured. Uh, we actually do mindful breaks at the elementary school. Uh, we do learning circles at the elementary school. We do second step at the elementary school. Uh, we have a uh, SEL committee in every building that SEL is. SEL is social emotional learning. Okay. They have their own school-based groups of educators that talk about what are the needs in their school and how do they want to bring this to light uh, organically from each school's point of view. And that's not us to tell them how to do that from central office because I don't work at the Butler every day. I don't work at the Chenner sure. every day. So that's how we do that work. And, and that has extended in the last two years to how do we then want to reach that hand a little farther out to the folks who might not feel automatically welcome because they don't look like you and I. They might speak another language. They might come from another country. They might be African-American, black. They might be Hispanic, a Latino, Latina. And so, so now what are the specific things that we can do around culturally responsive teaching? So for two years now, we've been taking on a culturally responsive teaching uh, professional development, which has jumped over our SEL strategy to be the first goal of the district. In the last two years, we've been working on the entire faculty and staff of the Belmont schools reflecting on who they are and what they bring to work every day as mostly a majority white uh, community, and how we can start to think about what that means when someone else comes in who does not look like us, and what some of the needs are, and how do we start to have those hard conversations with the adults, and then this year in preparation and working with students. So this is a long work. This is not a one event thing. This doesn't mean just because we have a diversity night. This is embedded into our curriculum, embedded into our daily practices. Well, and, and I wanted to ask you that because it sounds like that this does become part of, I don't know if it's the curriculum because that may be a, mm -hmm. a term of art, but it becomes embedded in the mission of the schools. The mission uh, of the school, least. the culture of the it's school. It's not an overlay. That's correct. And because you, uh, this is really important work. And it is about, uh, I like to say in public schools and in schools in general, we're 85% we're people. You know, our teachers are people, our customers are parents, they're people, our, our product is students, they are people, we're all human beings. So this is a, uh, the human element to how we want to do the work. And it's essential that we, we all understand who we are individually, how we all can uh, affirm our belief that all students can learn, that all people should feel welcome regardless of who they are, what they look like, what they believe. And then how do we create a culture where that's actually happening? In supporting of that. Um, we have a long way to go. There is no 
uh, this because this is the second year we can check it off the box as done. This is uh, oh we're, we're, yeah, and there will never be a correct. A we're, done. we're trying to just plant uh, really, really solid uh, seeds that grow long roots yes. in this community over time, and, and I think that this is the perfect community to do it. I think that that we have such like-minded folks who feel similarly that all folks should feel welcome and, and valued, and how we do that uh, in schools every day uh, is part of the work that we're learning. So uh, I'm, I'm excited that we've taken this work on over the last two years. I think it fits underneath that larger umbrella of all folks should feel welcome, all folks should feel, you know, and then sometimes you just need to reach a little farther uh, to pull some folks in and, and, uh, and give them that sense of uh, uh, safety and, and, and inclusiveness, and so we're doing that. And does it build from one grade to, uh, to the to the next? So what you do in the second grade uh, builds on what will be done in the fourth grade, which will be done in the eighth grade. Not necessarily in the cultural responsive teaching. Okay. Which because the the work of the we we see the work at this point in time in culturally responsive teaching being uh, at every level K to twelve, um, where we're asking our teachers and educators to really to really reflect on who they are and have those hard conversations, and then how do we work with children. So that doesn't necessarily lend itself to that articulation of yeah, skills okay. moving up. Okay. However, SEL does, where we want to teach and, and expose uh, elementary children to certain deregulation skills and reflection skills, and then when you're in the middle school, that looks a little different because the peer pressure of middle school is a different dynamic uh, for that age group. And then how do I utilize that well at high school, and how do I really make those skills and those things my own. So when I leave Belmont High, not only have I experienced a rigorous academic curriculum and a great you know, music, drama, band, athletic experience, but I also have a good handle on who I am and how I value yes. other people. So that, that's, the out, that's the goal. And we do see scaffolding there uh, more in place than our work with the cultural responsive teaching because we think the cultural responsive teaching is everywhere all the time, period. Yes, okay. Let's close the door on that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, uh, there's a rumor about town that we're gonna have a new school in town here in the next yes. uh, few years. Uh, can you bring us up to date on uh, what's going on with the new uh, uh, seven to 12 school? Yes, we, are, we have been working for over three years uh, to search for a long-term solution for the district because of the increased enrollment. And for folks who may not, uh, who may get up and go to work every day and come home and and uh, have their dinner and go to bed and wake up and go to work again, they might not know that the schools are experiencing a significant enrollment increase. So we made a short-term plan and a long-term plan. And the long-term plan was to ask the state for money to build a new high school and extend that to try to support the enrollment challenges at the elementary level, the middle school level, and the high school level. So we have, uh, over the last two years, presented that reconfiguration to the town, which means eventually, uh, We'd like to see our schools be uh, potentially K to three primary schools, uh, one upper elementary school that would serve grades four, five, six, and then we are we've been blessed with an override of uh, of the town's vote of seventy six percent to support a, a two hundred ninety million dollar seven through twelve school that will support our seven through twelve student population. So we are really excited about taking that work on. And that's, if it's seven to 12 rather than nine to 12, that's a significantly bigger school. Correct, it, it will support about 2,200 students at And least. are there special efforts that you have to take to, or you could probably talk all day. Uh, I could. They, about they, the special efforts. We, but, uh, we, have, we have really focused uh, on the 
the unique and careful separations that we need to provide when you have seventh and eighth graders on one side of the building that have a team model school that will be built just for that model and then uh, the separation of the nine through 12 department-based model that is a traditional high school. So the schools actually look different inside. The wing for seventh and eighth grade has its own entrance and it will have its own administration. Uh, they will share services and classrooms on the first floor, but the schools themselves will be separated. The, the fantastic connections that you can make is that the learning that can happen with the educators together 7 through 12, with the curriculums together 7 through 12, with the ability to maybe do some cross-curricular work or uh, project-based learning work when we have a new facility. We've added robotics classes, technology classes, uh, coding classes. Um, we're building those programs now leading up to the new building uh, and hope to be able to utilize them well. So, we think that the careful separations, but also the really unique connections that we can make with 7 through 12 is going to be a great combination for the town of Elmont. That's great. Thanks for stopping by today. We're, we're out of time. Excellent. Uh, Thank you so much. We've been talking with Belmont Public School School Superintendent John Phelan, and you've been watching this special edition of the Belmont Journal. I'm your host, Roger Colton. I will talk to you again next time.